Chapter Three of Boston Blackie by Jack Boyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Boston Blackie's Code. Her throat tightened in an aching pain as her eye fell on the thin gold band that encircled a slender finger. Martin Wilberding had stooped to kiss that hand and ring on the day it first was placed there. Dear little wife, he had said, that ring is the symbol of a bond that will never be broken by me. Throughout all the years before us, whenever I see it, this hour will return, bringing back all the love and devotion that is in my heart now. Recollection of the long-forgotten words swept her with a sudden revulsion of feeling, and she sprang to her feet. In that instant she realized for the first time why she had come to love Don Laval. It was because, in his fresh, ardent, impulsive devotion, he was so like the Martin Wilmerding who had kissed her hand and ring with the vow of lifetime fealty that had left her clinging to him in tearful ecstasy. Don, she said, if you really love me, go, now, now. Laval's arms, eagerly outstretched toward her, dropped to his side. It was not the answer he had awaited so confidently. A vague resentment against her tinged his disappointment with new bitterness. "'That is final, is it, Marion?' he asked. "'Yes, yes, don't make it harder for me. Please go,' she cried almost hysterically. He slipped into his overcoat. "'Perhaps you will tell me why,' he suggested with increasing asperity. "'Because of the boy and this,' the woman said brokenly, laying a finger on her wedding ring. "'Nonsense!' he cried angrily. "'What tie does that ring represent that Martin Wilmerding has not violated a hundred times? You have been faithful to it, we know, even though you admit you care for me. But has he? I have not the pleasure of your husband's acquaintance, but no man ever neglected a wife like you without a reason.' "'Go, please, quickly,' she pleaded, shivering. "'I will,' he said, instinctively avoiding the blunder of combating her decision with argument. He caught her in his arms, and stooping quickly kissed her on the lips. She reeled away from him, sobbing. "'Our first and last kiss.' "'Good-bye, Marion,' he said gently, and left the room. She followed, clutching at the walls for support as she watched him from the doorway. He adjusted his muffler and caught up his hat without a backward glance, and she pressed her two hands to her lips to choke back a cry. Then, as he opened the outer door, the crushing misery of her loneliness swept over her, overpowering self-restraint and resolution. "'Don! Oh, Don!' she pleaded, stumbling toward him with outstretched arms. In a second he was at her side, and she was crying against his breast. "'I can't let you go,' she sobbed. "'I tried, but I can't. Take me, Don. I will do as you wish.' From his hiding-place Blackie saw them re-enter the room. The woman stopped by the fireplace, drew off her wedding ring, and after holding it a second between shaking fingers, dropped it into the ashes. "'Dead and gone,' she said. Dead is the love of the man who put it on my finger. My ring will replace it, said Laval tenderly, but with triumph in his eyes. 
Wilmerding will want a divorce. He shall have it. And then you'll wear the wedding ring of the man who loves you and whom you love, the only ring in the world that shouldn't be broken. Don, promise me that you will never leave me alone, she pleaded falteringly. I don't ever want a chance to think, to, to reflect, to regret. I only want to be with you and forget everything else in the world. Promise me. Love like mine knows no such word as separation, he answered. From this hour we will never be apart. Don't fear regrets, Marion. There will be none. My boy, she suggested, he will go with us. Poor little Martin. I wouldn't leave him behind, fatherless and motherless. Of course not, he agreed. And now you must get a few necessaries together quickly, just the things you will require on the steamer. You can get all you need when we reach Honolulu, but there is no time for anything now, for under the circumstances it is best that we go aboard the steamer before morning. Can you be ready in an hour? In an hour? she cried in surprise. Yes, I can, but, but how can we go aboard the steamer tonight? We can't, Don. Your passage is booked, but not mine. My passage is booked for Don Laval and wife, he informed her smilingly. She turned away her head to hide the flush that colored her face. You were so sure as that, she murmured, with a strangely new sense of disappointment. Yes, Laval answered, for I knew love like mine could not fail to win yours. Will you pack a single trunk while I run back to my hotel and get my own things together? I can be back in an hour or less. Will you be ready? Yes, I will be ready, she promised wearily. I will take only a few things. I want nothing that my husband ever gave me. I shall only take a few of my own things and the jewels in the safe that were in Mother's collection. They are my own, and they're very valuable, Don. It will not be safe to risk packing them in my baggage. I'll get them now and give them to you to keep until we can leave them in the purser's safe tomorrow. Be very careful of them, Don. They couldn't be replaced for a fortune. Boston Blackie saw her hurry to the wall, saw the sliding door roll back. With a quickly indrawn breath, he watched the woman fumble nervously with a combination dial. The safe door swung open, and she rapidly sorted out a half-dozen jewel cases and reclosed the safe. Here they are, Don she said, handing the gems to Laval. I have only taken those that came from my own people. And now you must leave me. I must pack, and I can't call the servants under these circumstances. I must get the boy up and ready, and also, she hesitated a second and then added, I must write a note to Mr. Wilmerding, telling him what I have done and why. Don't mail it until we are at the dock, warned the man. Where is he, at his club or out of town? He's at the Del Monte Hotel near Monterey, or was, she answered. The letter won't reach him till tomorrow night. And tomorrow night we will be far out of sight of land, Laval cried. That is as it should be. I am glad I never met him, for now I never need do so. He stuffed the jewel cases into his overcoat. I'll be back in my car in an hour, he warned. Hurry, Marion, my love. Each minute until I am with you again will be a day. He caught up his hat and ran down the steps to the street where his car stood at the curbstone. 
As the door closed behind him, Marion Wilmerding sank into a chair and clutched her throat to stifle choking sobs. Intuitive womanly fear of what she was to do paralyzed her. For many minutes she lay shaking convulsively as she tried to overcome the dread that chilled her heart. Then the dismal atmosphere of the masterless home began to oppress her with a sense of wretched loneliness. She rose and with hard, reckless eyes shining hotly from behind wet lashes, ran upstairs to pack. As Donald Laval threw open the door of his empty car, a man who had slipped behind him around the corner of the Wilmerding residence stepped to his side. "'I'm sorry to have to trouble you for my wife's jewels, Laval,' he said. The triumphant smile on Laval's face faded, and he shrank back in speechless consternation. "'Your wife's jewels!' he ejaculated, trying to recover from the shock of the utterly unexpected interruption. "'You are—' "'Yes, I am Martin Wilberding, and the happy chance that brought me home tonight also gave me the pleasure of listening from the window-seat of the living-room to your interesting tete-a-tete with my wife.' A gun flashed into Boston Blackie's hand and was jabbed sharply into Laval's ribs. "'Give me Marion's jewels,' the pseudo-husband cried. "'Hand them over before I blow your heart out. That's what I ought to do, and I may anyway.' Laval handed over the cases that contained the Wilmerding collection of gems. "'Now,' continued his captor, "'I want a word with you.' The gun was thrust so savagely into Laval's face that it left a long, red bruise. "'I have heard all you said tonight. I know all your plans for stealing away my wife,' the inexorable voice continued. "'And I've just a word of warning for you. You're dealing with a man, not a woman, from now on. And if you phone, write, telegraph, or ever again communicate in any way with Marion, I'll blow your worthless brains out if I have to follow you round the world to do it.' Do you get that, Mr. Don Laval? I understand you, said Laval helplessly. Again the gun muzzle bruised the flesh of his cheek. And as a last and kindly warning, Laval, Blackie continued, I suggest that you take extreme precautions to see you do not miss the Manchuria when she sails in the morning. Because if you are not on board, you won't live to see another sunset if I have to kill you in your own club. Will you sail or die? I'll sail, said Laval. Very well. That's about all that requires words between us, I believe. Go, and remember your life is in your own hands. One word of any kind to Marion, and you forfeit it. I don't know why I don't kill you now. I would if it were not for the scandal all this would cause when it came out before the jury that would acquit me. Now go. Laval pressed the button that started the motor as Boston Blackie stepped back from his side. "'I've just one word I want to say to you, Wilmerding,' Laval began, his foot on the clutch. "'It's this. You have only yourself to blame. Don't accuse Marion. You forced her into the situation you discovered this evening by your neglect of the finest little woman I ever met. I was forced into it by love I had met frankly.' Don't blame Marion for what you yourself have caused. I won't ever see or communicate with her again. That's the most decent speech I've heard from your lips tonight, said the man beside the car, dropping his gun back into an outside pocket. I don't blame her. 
I've learned many important facts tonight, one of which is that the right place for a man is in his own home with his own wife. I'm going to remember that, and the wedding ring that was dropped into the ashes tonight is going back on the finger it fits. Good night. Laval, without a word, threw in the clutch, and his car sped away and was enveloped and hidden by the fog. Halfway down the block, Boston Blackie came to another car standing at the curb with a well-muffled chauffeur sitting behind the wheel. As he climbed in, the driver, Mary, uttered a low, thankful cry. No trouble. I have the jewels here, feel the packages, and a whole lot happened, said Blackie with deep satisfaction. I've a new story to tell you when we get home, Mary. It's the story of a big burglar named Blackie and a little boy named Martin Wilmerding and a still littler woolly dog named Rex and a woman who guessed wrong. I think it will interest you. Let's go. I have several things to do before we go home. When they reached the downtown district, Blackie had Mary drive him to the Palace Hotel. There he sought out the night stenographer. "'Will you take a telegram for me, please?' he said. Then he dictated. "'To Martin Wilmerding, Del Monte Hotel, Monterey. The boy needs you. I do, too. Please come. Marion.' Though there was a telegraph office in the hotel, he summoned a messenger boy from a saloon and sent the message. Then he went to another hotel and found a second stenographer, to whom he dictated a second message. Mrs. Marion Wilmerding, 3420 Broadway, San Francisco. The packages you gave me were what I really wanted. Thank you and goodbye. D.L. Summoning another boy, he sent the second message from a different telegraph office. Those telegrams and how they came to be sent will be a mystery in the Wilmerding home to the end of time, he thought, deeply contented. Let's go home, Mary, he said then, returning to his car and climbing in. I think I've finished my night's work, and I don't believe I've done such a bad job, either. He was silent for a moment. I've given a wife to a husband, he said half to himself. I've given a father to a child. I've given a mother the right to look her son in the face without shame. And I've played square with the gamest little pal I ever want to know, Martin Wilmerding, Jr., and his dog, Rex. And for my pay, I've taken the Wilmerding Jewel Collection. I wonder who's the debtor. End of Chapter 3